some of the descriptions of the second coming of Christ, I'm just going to be honest and tell you up front, they're probably going to maybe conflict a little bit with what we, and I'm talking about our church, myself included, have come to understand about the coming of the Lord. Because the coming of the Lord, as we understand it, is in, in, in our theology, it deals mainly with the rapture. And we're going to cover that for sure. But, but the descriptions you see here are not like that. The descriptions you see here are a little bit different. And you're going to see kind of differences. How does that, and you might think in your head, well, how does that fit? Well, that's, that's, that's one reason we're studying these things. So he's coming with glory, the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You think of a, a very public event. You know, this is not, this is not a secret. He's, he's coming, there's power, there's glory. And of course, attached to that, according to the Old Testament, is the kingdom. All right? The power, the judgment, and that kind of thing. All right, let's look at Luke chapter 18, if you would. Luke chapter 18. And verse number 8. Luke 18, verse 8 says this, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily, speaking of those that cry unto God, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, again, a future event, shall he find faith on the earth? Once again, I'm just doing it for effect here for to see that the Lord says this over and over. There's another coming in the future. He's telling his disciples. Now, if you, I love to do this. Put yourself in the place of the disciples. All right? You don't have any of the New Testament. You don't have any of that. All, of you, all that you have is the Old Testament. What did the Old Testament saints understand about the coming of the Lord? Well, you saw they knew he'd be born in Bethlehem. You knew, they knew he'd come into Jerusalem lowly because that's what the Scripture said. But then you have this, this idea of this king coming in, in great power and glory and, 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 in, and in strength and might. You have this as well. And as you read the Gospels and you, you pay attention, you start to see that's really what they were looking for, right? Okay? So here the Lord comes along and he's, he's come. They believe this is the figure that was predicted, that was described in the Old Testament. They believe him. They acknowledge, they believe him. Peter said, right, Matthew, he said, thou art the Christ, son of the living God. Peter acknowledged openly, all the disciples did. So they're listening to him, mixed with their expectations of what he's supposed to do, and he says, when the Son of Man cometh. What were they thinking? What were they likely thinking? How? He's already here. How is he going to come? Where is he going? If he's, if he's coming, that means he's going somewhere, and then he's coming. How is this all going to work? You can understand that at this point in the Scripture, they were probably just as confused as we are, as if we read this and nothing else in the New Testament, right? This is kind of a mystery. Again, it's being revealed little by little, little by little, okay? Now look at Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23 and verse, let's look down at verse number 
37. All right, now we're getting closer to the cross. Now, let me just, we need to get something in our mind here. This idea that the disciples understood and knew that Jesus was going to die on the cross is utterly and totally false. They did not understand it until it was over. Right? This is important. They were looking for something totally different. Right? Jesus told them different things about his coming. And that, but then when it, when it came time, it was, the time was drawing near when he would go to the cross, he told them so, and they didn't believe it. They didn't understand it. They didn't understand how that fit with their paradigm and their understanding of the Scripture in the Old Testament. They didn't get it. Just like we read it, we're like, I don't know how this, you know, if you just kind of isolate the Old Testament from the New, you don't really understand how it all goes together, and they didn't either. Matthew 23, this is closer to the cross now. This is the Lord weeping over Jerusalem. Verse 37 says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, now, the Lord is speaking to Jerusalem now. Now, he's not speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to the rejectors, specifically the Jewish rejectors of, of, of the Lord. He's saying this, Ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Again, I'm coming. I'm here, but I'm coming. I'm here, but I'm coming. And this is in the context of the cross. Because, of course, this is leading right up to that. This is just, just not, not very long before the Lord uh, goes to the cross. And finally, look at Matthew chapter 26. Verse 63. This is at his mock trial before the high priest. Okay, this is just literally hours before the Lord would be crucified. In the middle of the night, the night before he was crucified, in the morning at 9 o'clock. Verse 63, But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by, by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, which, is, which means yes. Nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. This is a description of the second coming. You see that power. This is one of the, this is only the second mention of his, his coming in relationship to clouds. The first one was in Daniel. Hopefully we'll look at that in a minute. But we read it, we read it uh, la I believe last week. But the, 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 the mention of clouds associated with his coming. In other words, there is, there is a, a dissension because he comes in the clouds. You know, he's, he's up in the clouds and he comes down from there. This is the description. This is, this is the first time that the Lord describes that type of coming as in the clouds. This is right before he's crucified. But again, 
It's already been laid out. He already knows it. We know it as we read Matthew, you know, as looking back, of course, retrospectively, we have all the scriptures. So we look back and we say, he's going to the cross. He knows he's going to the cross. Now the disciples and everybody else doesn't know all of that yet. Uh, but he's going to the cross and then he's going to go away. And then he's going to come. You see, now it's starting to get a little more clear. You see this? Now it's starting to get a little more clear. He says, you're not going to see me. The next time you see me, you're going to see me coming. Now, of course, he wasn't obviously referring to that particular individual. He was referring to the Jewish people in general. Because he says in John that, that I go away and the world seeth me no more. In other words, when he, when he rose again from the dead, and he, did you know that he did not appear to any, any non-believer? Did you know that? When Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared only to those that believed in him or would believe in him. Thomas, you know, you could argue, but Thomas did well. But he appeared in them. So what does that mean? That means in his post-resurrection appearances, the world did not know that he had, that he had risen and that he ascended back to heaven, though the Christians, of course, uh, propagated that and preached the gospel. But they did not, the world did not know that. So as far as the world is concerned, which is what the Lord is saying, the last time they saw him was when they sealed the tomb. And the next time they see him is when he returns. Now, I'm going to say that again. Now, follow it. Listen to what he's saying. The last time the world, not Christians, not believers, the last time the world saw him is when they sealed the tomb. And the next time the world will see him is when he comes in the clouds. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. And you might, at that point, you might say, well, hold on now. What about the rapture? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that. But this is what the Lord is saying right here. Again, progressive revelation. A little, little at a time, a little at a time. Now, let's go back to Matthew chapter 10. All right? Matthew chapter 10. See, the good thing about, I, I love this, this, this feature of the Lord's interaction with his, with his disciples. Listen, you and I ought to try to get as close to the Lord as we can get. Because what you see is you see the Lord spoke in parables. You know why? He spoke in parables to hide the truth from those that didn't believe in him and reveal at the same time and reveal truth to those that did. At the same time, with the same words, hide from some, reveal to others. Those that were near to him got everything they needed, everything they wanted. But to the world, it's a mystery. But to those of us that know him, he sits down, as it were, with us in the scripture for us and explains it. And explains it. It's not a mystery, it shouldn't be a mystery to us should be a mystery to us. We know what the Lord is going to do, just like the disciples knew. Now, whether they believe, that's a different question. But he, he told them, I'm going to the cross. He told them, I'll come again. He told them all those things. They didn't believe it, but had they believed it, they would have known, just like the Lord has told us all these things. The second coming of Christ is not a mystery. It has been revealed. You say, well, well when is that going to happen? Again, you have to look at the context of these passages that deal with those no man knoweth the day or the hour. There's a context to all of that. 
But the point is, the Lord does not want us wondering what his timeline is, just like he didn't want the disciples to wonder. He told them, and he's told us. Matthew 10, verse 16. Now, the context of this chapter, according to the first verse, this is earlier on in the Lord's ministry. He's sending out his disciples with power to heal the sick and to preach, right? He's sending out his disciples. That's what verse 1 says. Verse 16 says this, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Ye, be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men. Now, now I, want, I, want to, I want you to pick up on this because I want, you, want all of us to have a greater kind of tool set as we read the Bible. We read it with a, with a greater set of tools to help us understand more fully. Now, I want, you to, I want to ask you a question as we read this passage, and I want you to ask yourself that as we read each verse. Okay, again, context. Jesus is speaking to the 12 disciples, verse 1. He's, getting, he's preparing to send them out to go preach and heal, okay? Now, as we read this, what I want you to, I want, I want you to think to yourself as we read it, does this verse, can, can this verse apply to these 12 disciples that are going out to do that, all right? As we read, verse 17, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils they will scourge you in their synagogues. Now, here's just a fact. There is no record of scourging of the disciples during this period of time. There's no record that they were persecuted, physically persecuted, before the Lord was taken to the cross. Now, we know that after that, of course, they were persecuted. All the Christians were persecuted relentlessly. All right, keep reading. And you should be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. Again, that did not happen. That did happen after the Lord ascended. But that did not happen in the immediate context of them preaching in this passage. All right, keep reading. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in the same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child. And the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. That's an interesting, I mean, terrible but that's an interesting subject brought up at this point in this context. Keep reading. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. One of the most abused verses of Scripture in all of the Bible. But again, what end is he talking about? Right? Here's the thing. The introduction of verse 22 gives us a hint that what the Lord is speaking of goes beyond the immediate context in which he's telling it. He's telling the disciples that for a, 
a temporary period, they're going to go out and preach and heal, verse 1. But this spans time all the way to the end. And this is reflective of Matthew chapter 24, which is the main, 24 and 5 are the main chapters that deal with the second coming of Christ. But the language is the same. So what that tells us is even though the Lord is speaking to the disciples, His meaning goes far beyond that immediate context. And there are, there are markers in the text that tell us that. So when you start seeing this, this language, you're like, okay, now I know He's not talking about just the disciples. There's another marker. Verse 23. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, Ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. Till the Son of Man be come. His coming. That's what we just read, like five or six verses that deal with that. This is Jesus after his first coming telling about his second coming. And he's saying, he's telling the disciples. Now, it's just, it's hard to get our brains around, but he's telling the disciples prophetically. He's telling at the same time, he's speaking to them personally about their work. You know, you got the wisest serpents, harmless as doves. Those truths which are dealt, dealt with them immediately. But then you have this other language that spans a time far, far beyond that. And then Jesus refers to his coming. So you know what you have? We talked about this weeks ago. You have this kind of parallel prophecy. You have... The Lord is speaking to something immediate and future at the same time, okay? I know it can be kind of confusing, but if you look for the markers that he means something beyond the immediate, because there are passages, many passages, when the Lord speaks and he doesn't mean anything beyond the immediate context. But this is not one of them. And he's speaking to all the way of a time to his second coming. And not only that, and we're not going to, we're not, I'm not going to show you today, but we'll see it later, is this actually kind of overlaps the mention of the nation of Israel, people preaching throughout the land of Israel, and it's a short period of time before the Lord comes. That is something that's actually demonstrated in the book of Revelation and in Matthew chapter 24 more fully. But again, progressive revelation. All the questions aren't answered right now. Okay? But you notice, he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Persecution, the mention of persecution. Uh, children delivering up their parents to death. All right, this is language that is repeated in Matthew chapter 24. Okay, so let's go there. Let's go there real quick. And we'll have to end in Matthew 24. We won't even get anywhere near the end of Matthew 24, but we're going we're gonna to get started anyway. Matthew chapter 24. Verse 1. Now, one of the keys of Matthew 24 is the questions. All right? Read verse, read verse 1. It says this, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. The most important edifice in Israel, at the most important site of Israel, the most important religious uh, sh shrine, if you want to call it that, 
place in Israel. They're bragging to Jesus about the costliness and how beautiful it is and stuff because it was obviously a beautiful building. And Jesus says, the most important place in Israel is going to be raised to the ground, not even one stone left upon another. Now, if somebody said that about an important place in the United States, the U.S. Capitol building, Twin Towers even, you know, or some other, you know, Golden Gate Bridge, or, and they predicted it, what is the obvious first question you want to ask? When? <laughs> I mean, this is important here. When? And, you know, just like us, the disciples think the same thing. And they say, verse 3, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him. Notice the next word. And this is what I was referring to earlier. What's the next word say? What's it say? Privately. You know what that means? That means what the Lord taught publicly, the disciples got inside information on. You know why? Because they were close to him. They were close to him. There was public information, and then there was private information. I want to be in the Lord's inner circle, right? I want to be in that group that's not just, listen, not just getting the, the public preaching. That's good. But I want to be the person that has a private relationship with the Lord too. And every single one of us in our church should want that as well. That we don't just come, we don't, as they say, you know, the, you know, living in Cambodia, you know, kind of being pulled out of the culture in Greenville, it brings to light and it, and it brings into sharp focus some of the kinds of things that we do here in the South. And a lot of people want to make their appearance at the preaching. Going to preaching. They, you know, they come in with their Sunday best and... They make their appearance. They sit on their pew. Brother Vernon, I felt feel sorry for him because he had to give up his pew recently. But he's okay. He's okay. We have it downstairs, so Miss Betty's all right. She's, she can always go down there if she feels nostalgic. <laughs> but people want to come, make their appearance. They want to, they, they come and they, you know, they do their little, just pardon me, their little show, Right? And they walk out and they have no personal, real personal relationship to God at all. But they make, they make the public appearance. And that, I mean, that's just a repetition of what we read in the Scripture. Jesus taught, people listened. But then when they went home, they went back to their life. But there was a group of disciples, true believers, that were close to him and that walked with him. Right? That's the disciples. That's the way you should be and I should be. That's where all of Matthew 24 and 5 is found. You see the difference between the disciples in the world? All of this, re, re, is there relevatory? Is that a word? Miss Aguilar, is that a word? Relevatory? She's shaking her head. No. That which reveals. See, I got to learn my words better. All right, all of, the, all of the amazing revelation in Matthew 24 and 5 is given only to the disciples. It's a private conversation. That's where I want to be, right? That's where we should want to be, close to the Lord. 
The world has no idea what's going on. Jesus just says, you see this temple, all the stone? Not one stone will be left upon another. See you. And everybody's like, okay. But they'll go home. The disciples are like, ah, okay. Uh, you got to give us more than this. I mean, this is the most important building in our country. Well, we got to know more about this. says this in verse 3. The disciples come to him, came to him, unto him privately saying, tell us, here are their questions. When shall these things be? That's the when question, referring to the destruction of the temple. And, and now they ask two more questions that really don't have to do with the destruction of the temple. And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Well, that's three distinct questions. They asked about the destruction of the temple, the sign of the Lord's coming, and the end of the world. All right, first of all, the sign. The sign of the Lord's coming. The signs that the Lord gives for His coming that we read in Matthew 24 and 5, are really just for his people. Like, if think about what a sign does. What does a sign do? You're driving down the road. We call it a street sign. You're driving down the road and you see a, a yellow diamond-shaped or amber diamond-shaped sign and it, has a, and it has like a little 25 miles per hour, you know, rectangular, uh, amber-colored, you know, speed limit sign underneath and then it has a little little arrow that goes to the right, that's a sign to tell the driver that there's, in the upcoming, there's a right-hand turn that you might want to be careful about because it's maybe a little, a little tighter than a normal normally would have, right? That's a sign. You know what it's doing? It's telling you in advance so that you know that's what a sign does. So that's what I say. The sign is for the the. The disciples, the signs are given, given to God's people so that God's people are not left unaware when the Lord returns. It's not supposed to be a mystery. That's what the signs are for, right? That's why he gave them. That's why he's telling it to the inner circle, the disciples. The signs tell you in advance what's going to happen, Okay? And in this case, the signs refer to the conditions or the events that are present just before the Lord returns. And for a disciple who, is in, who hears this conversation, for us who, of course, read the Scripture, so we're kind of on the inside if we read, right? Those conditions give us an indication of when the Lord is coming, Right? And then lastly, there's a, in verse 43, there's a mention of a thief. Okay, so the idea, if you're a smart thief, is you try to break into someone's house and steal things when they're not expecting you. Because if, Joseph, if you are expecting them, they're probably going to have some 223 ammo being thrown their way. You, you prefer 9 millimeter. I mean, if you know they're coming, I mean, you might want to get out the big guns. I'm just saying. 
Whatever it is, point being is if you know they're coming, you have a sign. That means the, th- the whole idea of burglarizing your home is no longer effective. <laughs> well, the coming of the Lord, the second coming of Christ, is described as a thief breaking into a house. Right? As a thief in the night. That's why he goes at night, because he's hiding it. Right? So that's the idea. The Lord's saying, I'm coming as a thief to the world. They have no idea I'm coming. And that, is, that not the, is that not what the Scripture teaches? Matthew 24 is rife with that kind of language. All right? But to the disciples, he says, here's a sign, here's a sign, here's a sign. I'm coming, be ready. So he ain't coming to plunder your house. You're going to be ready because you know he's coming. Again, the difference between being on the outside and the inside, being of the world or of his people. That's what the signs are for. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, you know, signs, what is he talking about? Is he going to, you know, Kenneth Copeland and Charles, you know, whoever these TV preachers are. Look, we'll get, we'll get into all that later. But the point being is, as a matter of course, we have to understand what the signs are for. The Lord, for his people, did not want the disciples, did not want his people, more generally, to, to be baffled and, and to have a to be confused about his coming. He wanted them to understand and to be prepared. Okay? Lord willing, next week we will pick up here and we'll continue our study of Matthew 24. I hope it's a, it's a passage of Scripture that you're interested to study because it is one of those mysterious passages of Scripture that people like to abuse. So we'll, we'll look into it more fully and hopefully it'll be a blessing uh, to all of us. Let's pray.